0: What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. And we have a very long, arduous week 15 in the NFL to talk about. Uh, This one took a while to get through, both figuratively and literally. We literally just finished... The Eagles game, it's just wrapping up as we're starting to record this on uh, Tuesday afternoon football, I guess you could say. And we started six days ago on Thursday Night Football, so uh, it, its it's been a long week. We have a lot to talk about, uh, a lot of movement in playoff races around the league to get to. But before we get to all that, EJ, buddy, how you doing and what are you drinking tonight?
1: I'm good. We made it. Feels like a long stretch. Uh, feels like this was a long time coming and just games every day was kind of like careful what you wish for. It's like we have games <laughs> Thursday, Saturday and Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. It's like Christmas come early. Right. And here we are on Tuesday. Like, can can we just can we wrap it up, guys? We, we got stuff to do, um, but I'm fine. We're hanging in. We definitely have plenty to cover in the show. All kinds of ups and downs. Um, and I figured it's almost Christmas, so I needed something red. Uh, one of my favorites, Ridgetop Red Ale from mm. Silver City Brewery right over in Paulsbow, Washington. Um, Silverdale, Paulsbow. And uh, good stuff. 6% alcohol by volume. Nice round red taste to it, which seems very seasonally appropriate. What do you have?
0: I have your favorite. Oh, you my gonna hate favorite hate me for busting this out. I probably yeah. am not. Redbreast, oh, Mastow.
1: damn it! I forgot you had that. Like yeah, I was like, I do. what do you have that could possibly hurt me? Oh, that. Oh, Kryptonite. The, the king of amazing. Irish whiskeys. That uh, stuff say, is uh, some of the best Irish I have ever had. So if if you you know listeners haven't had it or seen it or they're looking for something extra special, yeah. go out of your way. That stuff is flat out legit great
0: if you need a last minute christmas gift for somebody that likes whiskey period get red breast list out it's a irish whiskey uh, with a sherry cast finish and it's insane utterly insane might be my favorite irish that i've ever had um let's get into the news and notes here because we have a lot to talk about today uh, first things first, thank you to Tom and, and people like him that continue to join the Patreon this week and support the show. We appreciate you guys believing in us. Remember, you're going to get those uh, Patreon merch discounts over on the merch store. If you feel so inclined to get some merch, you get a 20% off discount. Special shout out to Andrew also, who won our Patreon hoodie giveaway a few weeks ago. He, uh, he just decided to up his support all the way to the Hall of Fame level, so special shout out to him. Thank you to Andrew. Hope you enjoy your hoodie. And uh, remember, as a new Bootleg Hall of Famer, you're going to get access to the January 8th uh, private Q&A session. So that's for the top two uh, levels of the Patreon. Uh, probably about noonish Pacific time, January 8th. We'll kind of, you know, we'll keep you guys up to date on when we're doing that one. Uh, and with that being said, let's get into three up. We'll get into these games. We'll start all the way back, damn near a week ago with the Thursday night affair, might have actually been the best game of the week, and it was the first game of the week. Chiefs-Chargers had massive implications for not just the AFC West, but the AFC playoff race as a whole. Honestly felt like, to me, the Chargers were the better team for 80% of that game and still ended up losing, which... I mean, how many times have we seen the Chiefs do that where they just look lifeless and look lifeless and they're making mistakes and they get down into a hole and then you look up and they put up, you know, 30 plus points and (laughs) they get walk off touchdowns to to Travis Kelsey. Like that is so on brand for the Chiefs. Um, And we keep asking, like, how sustainable is this? But I don't know. I feel like after four years, it feels pretty damn sustainable at this point. But, yeah, I, I felt like it was a very entertaining game, I think. The Chargers showed that they belong in the conversation for the AFC. If literally three plays in this game went their way, Chiefs would not have had an opportunity to come back in the first place. So when they meet again, likely, a third time in the playoffs, that game could go the other way. I would not be shocked if it went the other way because the Chargers are a very good team. And also I think the Chiefs, uh, you know, their defense, they're continuing to play well. They didn't even have Chris Jones in this game, and I still felt, overall, they played well. Uh, Daniel Sorensen out there making plays. Dirty Dan, you know, after struggling the first half of the season, he's kind of come on strong. Really, all the DBs have come on strong. You know, Travis Kelsey still unguardable. Tyreek Hill still definitely unguardable. Kind of feels like the Chiefs are back. So, overall, I think... This this AFC West duo of Kansas City and L.A., you could argue that they're the two most dangerous teams in the AFC, and, uh, and they just met on Thursday night. What say you?
1: Yeah, I don't disagree about the danger piece. Either of these teams can light it up. We were definitely looking forward to this one. It was high up on our watch list last week, and for good reason, playoff implications for, like you said, not only AFC West, but overall for the AFC, and moving on deeper into the playoffs the one thing i would want to know if these teams meet again is is derwin james healthy (laughs) like does make a big difference before you ask me anything about how that game's going to come out because teams draft erasers if they have dominant players in their division that they're going to see twice a year they will draft players to counter those superstar players travis kelsey a superstar player one of the best tight ends we've ever seen a dominant receiver who can change games. We saw it in this one. Chargers a few years ago said, We're going to get a guy that we can flex onto Travis Kelsey when we need to and do many other things. That's not the only reason Derwin James was drafted up high. And when he was in, he did really well. And sometimes that plan goes swimmingly. And sometimes those guys get hurt. And then guys like Travis Kelsey go off, anyways. And the difference in this one was stark. Derwin in for 26 defensive snaps. Travis Kelsey had one catch, 14 yards. Derwin goes out with a hamstring, 41 defensive snaps, the balance of the game, nine catches for 177 yards and two tutties. That Mm. is a huge swing. Derwin in, got him under control, as best you can ever help to control somebody like Travis Kelsey. Derwin out, Chiefs basically run the table, get a walk off, walk off with the win that puts them firmly in the driver's seat of the AFC West, solidly in the lead uh, for you know a top spot in the AFC, sitting pretty moving into the playoffs and going deeper. So the Chiefs have turned it around. It's been really solid. It's one of those where they really struggled until they didn't. And since they've turned that corner, they've looked very similar. And we've talked about those changes over the past couple of weeks. Chris Jones moving back inside, Melvin Ingram coming over from Pittsburgh. The offense basically writing the ship and they've played really consistently sort of on that vein they have not been terribly up and down since they turned the corner and and they don't look like they're stopping this looks like the old chiefs you've got mahomes back to doing mahomes things right very familiar line for him 31 for 47 410 yards three touchdowns Mm. and pick like that's a mahomes line like if you look at mahomes lines from the first six weeks you're like what is going on with pat You look at that line, you're like, yeah, that that, just seems right.
0: Well, what's crazy is like so like such a large portion of that yardage came from, you know, off schedule plays. Him kind of running around and and finding Tyreek and finding Travis. And, you know, they got the screen game and everything like that. And the question that we've always asked ourselves is, you know, what are the Chiefs going to do when they don't get the big off schedule play? And generally, I think the answer is they struggle. But in games like this one where they are hitting that second-phase play, there's not a defense in the league that can stop them. Because usually when they hit that second-phase play, it's not for seven yards. It's for 27 yards. And when you're getting chunks, statistically speaking, you're going to score a lot. Like There's a reason why the Chiefs, despite all of their struggles early in the year— have the highest drive success rate in the entire league. And drive success rate is the measure of when you have a set of downs, how often are you either converting that set of downs into another set of downs or are you scoring? And their drive success rate is almost 80%. It's like 79.4 or something like that. It's number one in the league. Number 32 in the league is the Texans at like 60%. And so when you look at, you know, all these kind of, metrics in terms of how likely the Chiefs are to score in any given possession, despite all of the struggles, they're still arguably the most consistent offense in the league at just moving the chains and getting themselves in position to score in the first place. And for me, kind of bringing it full circle, I think that that was one of the biggest factors in why Brandon Staley kept going for it on fourth down because he knew on the other side of the ball was arguably the most productive offense in the league. And I'm sorry, but you can't trade threes for sevens against Kansas City, despite their defense holding on pretty well for a good chunk of this game. You just can't keep doing that forever. You got to get touchdowns when you're down there because you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get. So I agreed with four of the five times he went for it on fourth down. You know, the one I would have taken back was uh, with like three seconds left in the first half. I would have preferred they kick a field goal there because, you know, even if you miss, it's not like you're backing them up to the one yard line. Half is just over. So the only way that you can help Kansas City is by not getting any points at all. So you might as well just kick a field goal and get points. But the other two, you know, key ones like uh, first drive going forward from the five yard line. That was a touchdown catch that unfortunately Donald Parham got knocked out during, and thank God he's okay now. Um, but like, that's a, that's a one in a million freak thing that happened. Like 99 times out of a hundred, that's a, that's a touchdown. And then we're not even having this conversation. You know, there was a, 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 fourth and five or something later in the game where they were at like the, the 23 yard line or something like that. And like, they really needed it because halfway through the third quarter, you don't know how many possessions you're going to get left, so you got to you gotta make the most of it. They had a good play call on. Jared Cook had a good matchup. Bad ball from Herbert. Left it inside, should have left it outside. Bolton broke it up, drive over. So I didn't disagree with what Staley was calling or deciding. They just didn't execute for a variety of reasons, whether you want to talk about freak injury or just a bad ball. So... Like again, you play you play that game ten more times. You're probably gonna get a majority of those ten results being the Chargers winning because I don't think they go two for five on fourth down the majority of those games. Like they're too good on fourth down to go two for five over and over and over again. And if they just hit two more of those fourth downs, they probably win. That's how close this game was.
1: Yeah, it was a fascinating discussion all week, uh, raging in the Twitter sphere and everywhere else about analytics and what analytics are and whether or not they should be trusted. And analytics have never made a tackle. And yeah, it went all over the board. And it reminded me very much of a debate about draft prep. And it really is process mm-hmm. versus result. And you do the same thing in the draft. You can have a very good process and a crappy result. And I would say guys like Kevin White were good process. He was not hurt in college. He was incredibly productive. Did he need to grow as many receivers grow when they come into the league? Sure. Comes in, shatters his leg. He never been the same or made any noise since then. Was the process bad? No. No process wasn't terrible was the result bad Mm -hmm. result was bad but process and result are not the same thing and it's the difference between what you're talking about and the decision should i go for this based on the circumstances what i know to be true how many times i'm going to get a chance against this incredibly efficient and productive offense versus did my guy drop the ball or did the defender make a really good play, which is a result versus process and and learning to separate those two things, both in the draft and things like fourth down decisions, which were largely grouped strangely into analytics, um, which then became an anti math discussion, which was even more <laughs> fascinating. I was like, you do realize. OK, anyways, we don't need to get into all that. But process versus results are two different things. And what you're saying is I agree with the process, like I agree with the decision process or four out of five like overall that's what's gotten the Chargers to this point it's not like suddenly they got into this game and staley decided to say i'm just going to go for every fourth down and i've never done it all year and you know my guys aren't ready like no the Chargers have been like this so if you like the Chargers record and you like the Chargers results up to this point it's because the process has been the same so yelling at you know process when results don't measure up isn't isn't the way to backwards engineer this, right? This is not anal- analytics or anti analytics. It's he's going to keep doing this. Brandon Staley has been incredibly open about that. He said, Nope, I'm totally comfortable with this and all the smoke that comes with it. And it's gotten us to where we're, where we are. And we're probably going to continue doing it because like you said, we keep doing it. We're going to win more than we lose. And that's what I'm looking at, which is big picture. So it was a fascinating discussion. It was really interesting to watch it play out on all sides. Um, little bit humiliating (laughs) to see some of the arguments that got thrown out there uh but i think fans in general will realize as we get there and we saw it a lot this week it wasn't just the chargers game like kickers didn't kick a lot this week there are a lot of teams that went for it as we get down to the wire it's not we talk about game of inches to plays to quarters to halves to games to drives look there's only three games left and Mm -hmm. in terms of like You're not going to get that many more chances. You're just not going to get that many more chances in games. So coaches are kind of pushing that lever into the red zone going, you know, go for it. Let's see what happens. And I think folks are getting a little bit more comfortable with that, whether or not um, they're going to see it more. So uh, their comfort level is up to them.
0: I mean, not even taking the math into account, if we're just looking at it from a common sense angle. If I'm Brandon Staley, I'm going up against you know, arguably the best team in the AFC, I have a chance to take control of the division and make an actual push for the number one seed and then host the playoffs in my house or the Super Bowl is in my house. Who am I trusting more to make that happen? My defense down three safeties or Justin Herbert? What's the logical choice? Fourth and five, what are you trusting more? A punt in your defense or Justin Herbert to get five yards? Doesn't seem like that hard of a decision to me.
1: No, I agree. And obviously, Brandon Staley agrees. And I don't think he's going to back off at all. He didn't seem at all cowed by any of this. He was like, nope, this is the way we've been doing it. This is the way we did it. It didn't work out this time. It's going to work out more times than it doesn't. And therefore, we're going to keep doing it. This wasn't a there was no sort of like, oh, I need to go reflect and repent and and do this differently. no. No, this is hard on. He is going to continue to press and push these chances and take them. And again, it's a pinnacle moment. We talked about it. These games are two for one. It's in division. It's against the team that's surging back. Going to take pretty solid control of that division with just a few games to go. It's the only chance you're going to get to play them. You've got a chance. You're right there. You're on the pinnacle. You've got a great young quarterback that can pick it up with his legs, with his arm. I'm with you. Let him take the shot. And they didn't miss by much. We're we're back to that game of inches thing. Like, they missed two by very little. So, again, clean up the execution a little bit, and maybe the results will sort of mirror the process.
0: Let's get to uh, three-up number two, which, A, I didn't think we were going to get to do this again this season, but I'm so happy that we do. The Lions won again. And not only did they win again they beat a 10 plus win team by what was it three possessions um, easily has there ever been a one win team to beat a 10 plus win team by this many points like ever i i don't know if there has like in nfl history i don't even know if that's happened before it's insane and i am just so happy for dan campbell I'm so happy for that locker room. You see the videos of them in the locker room after the game. Like, you can tell this team loves him. They play hard for him. And in this kind of season where going into it, you know you're rebuilding. You know it's going to be a multi-year rebuild. Culture is really what matters, like, the most. More than anything else, it's do you have a locker room that is willing to fight for their coach and buy in for 2023 and not 2021? And looking at that locker room, I feel like really everybody in there has bought in for Dan Campbell for the next three years because he connects with them. He's an actual good person. You know, he's – there's a lot of coaches in the NFL, some who are no longer in the NFL, that clearly do not have their players' best interest at heart. And they're not stupid. They know that. But when you can actually connect with your players and they believe that they believe in you, it just builds – such a strong culture in an organization that is a very underrated aspect of, of winning football teams. And that's the part that I think Dan Campbell has gotten, right? Obviously they still need more talent. I think they could probably use another offensive coordinator who maybe has a couple more modern ideas in the passing game, but the culture is there. They're on the right track. On the flip side, we'll talk about Cliff Kingsbury because I have some concerns there. Not with culture, but just with like schematic stuff that has clearly been figured out. But on the Lions end, like, yeah, we're we're on the right track here. The organization, I feel like, made a a very good hire that was lampooned at first for, you know, biting kneecaps and everything like that. It was memed into the next century. But 15 weeks into this season. I'm more optimistic about the Dan Campbell hire than almost every other rookie head coach other than maybe Brandon Staley. Like that's how much I believe this is going to work. Just looking at that locker room after that win.
1: Yeah. And it not all wins are created equal. Every win in, in the NFL is important and hard to get, but they're not all valued the same way. And wins like this for teams that are in the place that Detroit is currently in and knew they were going to be in this year are extremely meaningful and the way they won this game and who they won it against make this uh, the importance of this win very very different than their tie earlier or even their previous victory this was arguably one of the three best teams in the nfl by record and and by achievement this season we've talked about that a lot that they need to be considered with The Green Bay's and the Tampa Bays at the top of the field. Lions were arguably, we talked about it last week, one of the four bottom teams in the NFL, depending on how you went. And yeah, they're playing hard. And yeah, they're buying in, but you know, the results are still not coming. Here that team, the Cardinals, comes to your house and you don't just squeak by on some blocked field goal that you end up running back. Like, no. You put them in a hole. You put them in a three-touchdown hole, right? You put them in. Not a (laughs) three-score hole. We're talking about a three-touchdown hole. Like, you bury them at your place early in the second quarter. You're up by three touchdowns, and you hang on. You don't just hang on by your fingernails. There's not some last-second Hail Mary. You bury them, and they don't ever really have a chance to win this game. That is not an equal win to anything else. That is a turning point where people say, see, it's working. And you add up the circumstances. We all know where Detroit is in terms of their rebuild, knowing it's going to take a while, their quarterback situation, everything else. But the Lions didn't have great weapons like Josh Reynolds, who ended up making a ton of huge plays in this game, was a midseason waiver wire pickup for the lions because he used to be a teammate of jared goff's in la and he made some great catches in this one you're talking about a team that is largely bereft of weapons and has been ravaged by injury their best weapons tj hawkinson uh deandre swift uh you know frank Ragnow, their all pro center like they're all not there trey flowers their biggest free agent ad on defense in a long time romeo arcoire all these guys are out. Jeff Okuda never even made the regular season. Like, here is a team that was already down, down a lot of its star power. And they mash one of the best teams in the league at their house for a convincing win that they earned. This, they didn't luck into this. It's not, It wasn't on the refs or anybody else. Like, that is a big deal for Detroit and if they continue to draft well they drafted very well this year they continue to rub the waiver wire they've got first overall claim this year they'll have a good claim next year continue to pound UDFAs and every other talent source out there the way they have and they buy in they have sorted out guys there were certain guys like we were like "Why? why'd that guy leave right and it's because they were like "Uh uh-uh I don't believe and dan campbell's been weeding those guys out and the guys that are left are playing extremely hard they have been playing extremely hard but they played extremely well this week and earned a win against one of the best teams in the nfl that's really notable we're going to look back if the dan campbell experiment succeeds and he becomes a fixture in detroit and they start to win we're going to point back to this game more than a lot of others and say this is where it really felt like oh you can do this without all your top firepower against them that's a that's a thing
0: from a a schematic perspective i do want to highlight aaron glenn and the lions have had a few good defensive performances this year uh the steelers game was one the the vikings game was another you know the game they tied and the game they won like they they had good defensive performances there we could talk all about the offense making mistakes but like it wasn't just a one sided affair, the defense was making plays too. In this game, this was the most comprehensive defensive plan that I have seen executed against this Cardinals defense all year. They knew everything that Arizona was going to do. I'm talking like down and distance and field position tendencies formation tendencies, situational tendencies in the red zone. They fucking knew everything, and they had a plan for all of it. They knew how to rush Kyler. They knew the landmarks they had to hit to make him uncomfortable and to kind of make him run himself into pressure, which has been an issue with Kyler. If you hit the right landmarks, you know exactly where his field of vision kind of shrinks a little bit, and then he'll just, I don't want to say panic, He will run himself into pressure if you get to the right spots. Charles Harris was playing like a man-possessed. The tackles were really struggling to give Kyler the space that he typically needs to be himself. Um, When I look at play calls defensively, there was a a third and three, probably like around the the, the 40, 45-yard line for Detroit. And that's an area where... The Cardinals really like to take shots because it's kind of in that no man's land where they'll take a shot. They'll see if they can get a chunk because if they miss it, it's three yards. They can come back on fourth down and try to get it anyway. And Detroit knew that. So they called zero because they're like, we're going to call the one thing that you're probably not going to be able to take a shot against. And if you dare do it, we're going to hit Kyler really, really hard. So go ahead and try. They weren't prepared for it. Harris came free off the edge, got a big sack, drive over. So they completely took that whole fourth down try off the table with a great defensive call. Next drive down at the goal line. Again, you get a three by one. It's like a a man look all the way. They know the rub is coming. They play banjo coverage. DB inside in the slot comes off of it, breaks up the slant, forces a field goal attempt. They knew what they were gonna do every step of the way, situationally, and always had a perfect coverage call, a perfect blitz call every single time. And like they this this Lions coaching staff, at least on the defensive side, completely pants Cliff Kingsbury. Every defense that faces the Cardinals in the playoffs, like and I know the Cardinals are down some talent right now, every DC needs to look at this game and just copy what they did because Arizona will struggle to handle it like god forbid if the saints with their defense makes the playoffs and go against goes against arizona they would destroy them because they have even better personnel and can do the same thing because remember aaron glenn came from the saints he's a protege of dennis allen and dennis allen just shut out the bucks i can't even imagine the grotesque things he would do to this cardinals offense it would be gross entertaining but gross yeah, if you like defense, it would be wildly
1: entertaining. The thing that caught my eye on defense from Aaron Glenn's plan and Aaron Glenn and his coach's plan was the rush. You mentioned it. There is a way to rush Kyler and there is a way not to rush Kyler. And their rush was incredibly controlled and always at the right depth. They didn't have anybody overrunning and giving Kyler a side to escape because if Kyler gets a side if he can get out of that little crescent it's like a it's like a reverse pocket it's like a defensive pocket right the defense creating a pocket if he can break one side of that above or below a rusher if he can get out he gets an extra 3 seconds 4 seconds per play and Kyler with an extra 3 or 4 seconds and the threat to just tuck it and run with his quickness is enough to keep a lot of drives going. They were incredibly disciplined with their rush, depth, and spacing. And Kyler just sort of was like, I either have to bail out backwards and go really deep, which I don't want to do. He did a couple times later in the game. Or I have to try and step up between those big guys. And that's not really my gig. So that was the first thing. And then guys like Jalen reeves mabin like Charles Harris, you mentioned already, had a great game. Jalen reeves mabin was in Kyler's face all day. He was a thorn in Kyler's side. He was the guy that would would eventually break loose and come chase after he'd been standing there for a little bit too long. Um, Hit him a couple times, knocked him down. Like, these are not guys that typically, uh, you know, name-dropping defensive NFL fans are going to talk about, but like, they had it in line and the coverage calls to mate to that rush were perfect they didn't look surprised they were in control mentally on the defensive side for the entire game and then they got some incredible individual performances we'll talk about or warrior like that was a dagger interception because second half adjustments cards came out and looked really good in between the 20s like they three four big chunk plays in a row it's like oh they got it they took their notes and then they get to the red zone. You talked about it, and they just stalled. And they did it twice. They just chewed mm-hmm. up field. They got to the red zone. And they ended up with field goals. Ended up with six points from two what looked to be really productive drives. Got inside. Got to about the fifteen, and just poof, nothing. Like
0: well, part of it, like when you're down in the red zone, they really like that's where you could feel the lack of DeAndre Hopkins.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: At some point, you just need to line up and go beat somebody. And Green beat. Amani Oruwari a couple times in between the 20s, but down in the red zone couldn't beat him because Amani's physical and long. And again, you want to run a stop route and break a tackle like he did, I think in like the third or fourth quarter, you can do that. But, you know, in terms of like a goal line fade against Amani a that's a tough ask. Like somebody who's built like him, that's as explosive as him, it's tough to kind of get hip to hip and, and be able to stack on him and, and get position to get to that back pylon where the ball is going to fall, you know, perfect teardrop fashion. Like Kyler always likes to lay it in there. Like it can be as good a throw as you want, but if the receiver can't get there because the corner's too physical, what can you do? So Oraria, he gets a lot of crap because he gives up a lot of yards, but he also gets a lot of picks. And in the red zone, I find him to be relatively reliable which if I have a DB, as long as they're not giving up touchdowns and they're forcing turnovers, yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, And Connor was the same way. We gave Connor a lot of credit on the show
1: last week for being such a weapon this year. In between the 20s, he had some good runs. He had like Mm -hmm. a 27-yard tear, and you got down, and where, where people, again, tend to think Connor is the most effective, packed tight sets, power back, He didn't get anything in the red zone. He was not getting loose. They had him bottled up. They had two or three guys on him and they were dragging him down. So really a ton of credit to obviously the guys on the field that executed, but the defensive game plan as well. And on the offensive game plan, it was, I'm with you, it was a little simplistic at times, they leaned a lot on Craig Reynolds, and just a shout-out to Craig Reynolds. Craig Reynolds is a guy that caught my eye in the very first Detroit preseason game. Everybody says, oh, preseason games are worthless. There's no value in preseason games. Bullshit. Absolute garbage. So August 13th, first preseason game against the Bills. I'm watching Garbage Time, second half, and who gets in? Craig Reynolds. I'm like, who the hell is Craig Reynolds? No idea. Went to Cuts Town <laughs> State. That's Andre Reed country, for those of you that remember Andre Reed from the Bills. And Reynolds rips off a really nice touchdown run in the second half of that preseason game against the Bills. and they. I remember you story. sent it to me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, look at this guy. This guy's got the juice. He's, a, you know, the third or at that point, fourth back on the Detroit roster. Like, who is this guy? And I was like, no, this guy's got great feet. Like, he's really good. And they tell the story about him on the broadcast that Deuce Staley, the former Eagles running back, longtime Eagles running back, now running back coach for the Lions, tried him out liked what he saw they signed him to the active roster the day before the bills game the 12th the next day they put him in in the second half against the bills and he rips off a bunch of good runs including a what i would call a very creative touchdown run and i said well and i put out a tweet about it i went back and found it this week because i was like craig reynolds has a really good game against denver last week it was a little bit more understated and this week he was the power that kept detroit in front of the sticks He had three or four runs in this game that should have even been knocked back for about negative two yards or just been stacked for zero yards. And he had a bunch of runs in this game because of that lack of creativity that were zero yard runs that the Cardinals were absolutely expecting and stacked on and met him at the line and he didn't get anything. But he had three or four, usually in late down situations that he turned into six, seven, 11 yards when it should have been negative two or zero. He kept them on pace. He kept them ahead of the sticks. And Detroit, as an offense with that lack of star firepower that we talked about, doesn't have a DeAndre Hopkins that they can just chuck it up to. They need a guy like Reynolds to keep them on pace. And he did in this game. He deserves a ton of credit. He looked great. He didn't look like good or average or doing his job. He looked great. In this game and it was I don't want to say it was the difference because it really was a team effort for Detroit but without Craig Reynolds I this would have been a much closer game if not a
0: Lions loss overall I'm just I'm happy for the Lions I'm happy for Lions fans I know they lost quote unquote lost the first overall pick but in this kind of year with Hutchinson and Thibodeau like I don't really think it matters if you have first overall or second overall, you're still probably getting a really good pass rusher anyway. You know, it's not like there's a, a Chase Young and then there's a drop off or a Miles Garrett and then there's a drop off like Hutchinson and Thibodeau are pretty comparable, like different skill sets, but comparable, I think, in terms of like overall grade or if they really want to, they can trade down and there's a there's a shitload of edges in this class. Like if you want a car you want uh, we'll get into that in draft season. There's a lot of guys. I think this win was more important than the first overall pick for a lot of reasons. I think most Lions fans would probably agree with that. And I'm just happy they got it because uh, it's it's a culture builder for sure. Keep in mind with the draft, very interesting
1: possibility comes up for Detroit, which What's is that? they keep they keep winning games, right? They win a couple more games and it drops them down to fourth, maybe fifth. Yeah right out of territory for the two guys at pass rusher that we're talking about they have the possibility to trade down a few spots not many right for somebody anybody wants to come up for a player that they don't really want they could trade down for a few spots pick up a first next year for doing that and pick the quarterback that they want at a spot That they want, because it's possible that there will be a quarterback at nine or 10 that they want. If they if they really believe in a whoever insert quarterback X here, if they want a Matt Corral, and they think this is our guy and we can get him at 10 or 12 and we can pick up an additional first. It's not a bad idea it's possible i'm not saying it's gonna happen or it's even what they want to do i'm saying if they drop into that middle four five six and somebody wants to come up a few spots and they can pick up a first for dropping down four or five spots and still get a quarterback that they weren't going to pick before eighth or ninth or tenth anyways
0: there's there's another scenario here you get a lot of picks. You just trade down and trade down and trade down. You build up an ungodly armada of picks. And then you go get Bryce Young first overall next year. You pray to God that whoever's first overall, you know, if it's like a Jacksonville. We'll let like, you have it. You know, yeah. it's like they already have a quarterback. They don't need one. Like, let's just say it's It probably wouldn't be Jacksonville for a third year in a row. But let's just say that the quarterback situation is solved.
1: We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about the likelihood of going first overall twice in a row. Um there is there is no three in a row just so you know, spoiler
0: <laughs> alert. Oh, statistically there's no there's no team that's ever gone for three in a row. Not statistically.
1: Like I went back uh, 40 ish years. Yikes. Never had never had three number ones in a row. We've had quite a few teams, uh we'll talk about it, that have had two number ones in a row. Uh, but nobody's ever had three. So not not probably going to be Jacksonville, but it's always it's a gamble to wait for a quarterback. But the, taking your quarterback at like two or three in this draft um, that you're like not super sold on could be a really hard sell for a fan base. But if you trade back, grab an additional first and still get a quarterback you like somewhere around the bottom of the top 10, that could be a real coup for the Jackson or for the Detroit front office staff to come away with really two major assets for just dropping down a couple spots that they kinda wanted to drop down for proper draft value anyways.
0: Let's get to uh three up number three, which is the Packers holding on for dear life against a very, very undermanned Baltimore Ravens squad. I mean you name it they were down <laughs> like they, backup quarterback, secondaries obliterated, receiving cores obliterated, whether it's injuries or covid or whatever, the offensive line is is undermanned. I mean this was a this has been a bare bones roster basically since training camp. Like they they've just constantly had injury issues. And to take arguably the best team in the league to the mat putting up 30 points on a pretty good defense and having an opportunity to potentially win it if you just make one more play with a backup quarterback and Tyler Huntley, who played great. I'm just so, I'm proud of the Baltimore Ravens for having so much fight this season despite so many adverse circumstances. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. I have no idea. It's been an uphill battle for a month now. But I'll be damned if they do make it. I will not count them out of any game because this team, they just fight, man. They constantly fight, and they won't go away.
1: No, they're not going to. And we got to talk about Mark effing Andrews right at the top of this. (laughs) The guy is a superhero. It's ridiculous. Like, I liked Mark Andrews coming out. I was higher on Mark Andrews than most people, and he has wildly – exceeded my expectations my wildest expectations like he is so freaking good he looks really good when he gets in sync with lamar and lamar is just hitting mark andrews like we've all seen that with tyler huntley in the first half and a and a you know greatly reduced offensive slate of weapons he was everything for the ravens in the first half and he looked amazing doing it You don't see tight ends laid out sideways, making hands catches on the ball in the end zone on the points. You don't see him one handing stuff. You don't see him accelerating away from defensive backs at that size. Like we think of Mark Andrews as like a powerful guy that can block and he can. Um, We think of him a guy that can absolutely overpower safeties and linebackers. We don't think of him as a guy that would typically run away from corners. He looked damn fast in this game and he did everything for Baltimore in the first half. Top five, I might say top four,
0: right? He's
1: really, really good.
0: Kelsey. Yep. Kittle. Yep. Gronk in whatever order. Yeah, it's
1: it's, Gronk is Gronk's the sort of wild card. Gronk's better. Like Gronk's a Hall of Famer. Like so. Maybe he slips to five.
0: But I mean you're it's Waller or Andrews. Yeah, this season it's 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 Andrews. This (laughs) season
1: it's Andrews with a bullet. Like, I don't think it's close last season. I would have tipped for Waller. So again, maybe fourth or fifth, but like solidly in that top tier, he's not in that second bubble. He is a guy that can carry an entire team for, you know, more than a half. Um, and we saw more of that in this game with Huntley. And this was the game we were waiting for from Huntley. We've seen him come in in relief of Lamar. We saw him come in, uh, earlier this season. And I said, Oh, keep an eye on Huntley. And He kind of laid an egg in that game. He didn't play great. Um, certainly had any reps. This was the game start to finish wire to wire. He's the starter against a high quality opponent and had them toe to toe the whole game. He was a reason that they were in that game and played very, very well. You say they can't let him go. I say they're going to have trouble keeping him like, there are going to be offers for a guy with Tyler Huntley's skill set, poise, physical gifts. Um it's going to be difficult for Eric DaCosta and his his bunch to say oh, on the off chance that we lose Lamar for extended time, we're not going to take that those picks, right? Um the, it's going to be decent compensation for a guy like Tyler Huntley for sure because he is rare. Um now he's a perfect fit for the Ravens. I I would love for him to stay there because they really don't have to change the game plan. And how many quarterbacks can you say that about that when Lamar Jackson goes out, you don't have to change the game plan. You really kind of don't with Tyler Huntley. And that's amazing. But he just looked so poised, uh, made a ton of throws. He obviously has the mobility. Um, just a great, great game from those two. And on the other side, we got to talk about the other guy. I don't really want to. But I kind of want to Aaron Rodgers, a Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers, a Hall of Famer easily. He had one of his greatest ever seasons last
0: year. He's
1: better this year. Might be playing better this year. Oh, it ain't
0: ain't might. He is. He's he. He
1: looks so relaxed. It's almost unconscious. It looks like the game is going so slow for him. That he can do anything he wants, whether it's moving around in the pocket. He doesn't even look like he's going to get hit. He's like, oh, yeah, that guy's right there. No problem. I'm just going to throw it over your head. Right.
0: The seam balls in this game. Okay. About four seam balls. Yeah. That one over the middle. I don't even know how that was fucking physically possible. Magic. Pure magic. And he threw three of them.
1: He threw four uh, in between the hashes down the seam in this game. Three of them were special, like special. And you see a guy like if a quarterback makes one of those throws in three or four weeks, other quarterbacks make one of those throws in three or four weeks. You're like, do you remember that one he threw three weeks ago down the seat? That was amazing.
0: Dude, He threw four. Fields made one like a month ago, and that made Bears fans season. It was great.
1: Aaron Rodgers (laughs) threw four in this game that all qualified for that. Like that's the level he's at. Like everybody else is here and he looks relaxed. He's playing with a toe injury. Who knows what the severity is. You couldn't see it. He did everything he wanted to made all the ridiculous throws. He normally does all quadrants of the field outside the numbers, deep to Devonte. all the seam balls we're talking about the stuff that is perfectly thrown on screens to just drop right into his receivers hands so that they can keep running with momentum. Like, Just the perfection of his game right now is something else. If you like football, just watch it. Um, He is playing at a level that nobody else is playing at right now.
0: And uh, at least to me, watching Rodgers in this game gave great context for why Harbaugh went for two at the end. Because how can you be on the sidelines watching Rodgers do that You know, you're down by one point with 42 seconds left. Green Bay has a timeout. How can you have any confidence that if you just kick an extra point and tie it, he's not going to go right down the field and kick a field goal and win anyway? You know, it's probably a greater than 50% chance. Like, historically, it would be about a 50% chance for what the Green Bay offense's drive success rate is. But like Aaron Rodgers, final minute, it's more than that. Let's be honest. So... Why not just go for two, have a lead, and then at least have like a 30 to 40% chance to like get a fumble or, you know, make a couple good tackles and and get out of there with the win rather than tying the game, have to survive Rodgers, and then have to survive him again in overtime. You might as well just try to win right there. So it was a great call to go for two. It was the call I would have made because... Again, you got a backup quarterback. You're playing with house money at that point. The problem was the execution. Like if Huntley made just a little bit better throw to the pylon, that might have been completed. Or if he got off that first read and looked at Hollywood running wide open the back of the end zone, probably could have got it there as well. But again, it's a guy making like his second ever start. He's a young quarterback. What are you gonna do? The safety made a
1: great play. We gotta give credit, Green Bay safety. I think it was Savage. Came over, got a hand on that ball. Like you look at where he came from in his break on that play flowing to that side of the field that's a great play the guys on defense get paid too and it was a great play by the safety harbaugh even said like safety doesn't get over and get a hand on that ball like that's a touchdown you got to give him credit for you know the read the dive all of it so i can see it uh and i'm I think the other argument is more telling, like as a Bears fan, I'm like, you don't give Aaron Rodgers any time because he will take it and find the field goal. He will just will his team to it because he has over and over and over again. So I have no problem with Harbaugh's call. And again, execution, good execution from the Packers on defense, just a bit off from the Ravens on offense, but not much. We're talking about literal inches, an inch or two. You you absolutely go for the dagger against Rodgers playing as well as he is right now. And just wanted to bring up that sometimes it's Jimmy's and Joes over X's nose, Devontae Adams on his touchdown, exact same move he put on Jalen Johnson of the Bears. And he was putting <sighs> it on a backup corner, Jackson, for the Ravens. Like, take a photo of that, place it on the other side of the field and go, yep, exact same thing. So Ravens should have known that was potential. The guy played with inside leverage. He should have played with outside leverage because he had safety help. So he should have been outside and basically said, you're not getting outside. But it was literally the exact. In fact, if you overlaid those two plays, there wouldn't be any blur. The image would be sharp. (laughs) Like it was the same move. And he scored on it anyways, because look, Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the league and he can do that sort of thing. But sometimes it's just your guys can out execute the other guys.
0: Yeah, well, it helps when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Hall of Fame receiver. I guess that's kind of an important thing to win football games these days. Uh, Why don't we get to uh, three down number one? Mentioned this earlier, Dennis Allen, (laughs) having another fantastic uh, day against Tom Brady, who just can't get past this Saints defense. Uh -uh. And I was trying to figure out why. And beyond the fact Chris Godwin... Got hurt, unfortunately, tore his ACL on a low hit, which I don't think was malicious. I think he was aiming for the thigh and just missed. I I didn't think it was a dirty play. You know, Evans got hurt. Brown was out because he was suspended. Uh, You know, Lenny got hurt. They signed Le'Veon Bell today because they're just down a whole bunch of bodies. So yeah, he was down a lot of skill position players. But beyond that, the real reason why they couldn't move the ball. Because Tom's had depleted skill position cores before. He's not, not, not used to that. You know, like this is a guy that, you know, went to the AFC Championship game with like Philip Dorsett as his number two receiver. It's 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 okay for him. The reason why the Saints consistently beat the hell out of this Bucs offense with Tom Brady is because they are one of the few defensive fronts in the league that can just Blast this offensive line. There they don't have a single person on the Bucks offensive line for as good as they are, not even Tristan Worse, that can handle Cam Jordan. He was killing them all night. Marcus Davenport was killing them all night. Demario Davis is an absolute maniac and was just throwing bodies all over the place in the run game. Like they can't block this front seven. And this is a top three offensive line in the league and they can't block them like there's a reason why year after year after year the saints are like top three in run defense top three in adjusted yards per carry you know top five in pressure percentage they got dudes in the defensive front and when you've got just waves and waves and waves of defensive line talent and aggressive fast dbs That can stick to these receivers as depleted as they were for two seconds, they're not gonna do anything because guess what? Tom can't really move. Like he can move better than he used to this year, you know, with that deer antler spray or whatever he's using to give himself this fountain of youth. But it's still Tom Brady, he's still running like a five five forty right now. So he can't get away. All you gotta do is rush with four, plate tight coverage. If they can't block you, you win. You know how many times they blitzed Tom in this game the entire night? I'd
1: say six.
0: Four. The entire night, they blitzed him four times, and they still got pressure and pressure and pressure. So, you know, we always, what is it, 20 years now? We've said that's the formula, like ever since the Giants Super Bowl. Like, if you can get pressure with four, play tight sure. man coverage, you're going to win. Well, same shit. <laughs> they get pressure with four, play tight man coverage, two high safeties, You're gonna win. They shut him out. The only shutout loss Tom Brady's ever had at home, because they have the dudes to do it. Kind of going on the theme of Jimmy's and Joe's. They can do it. They're one of the only teams that can.
1: Yeah, and the amount of games that Brady has played, and he has like three shutouts, and this is the first one in the last 255 games or something. I mean, it's like yeah somebody put up the stat that he got shut out and he's in his 40s and the last time he got shut out he was in his 20s it's insane yeah i mean it's like what um it sounds easy right it's it's kind of like chess oh well here's the moves what do you mean like can't be that hard oh it can be and there's not that many teams that can do it either from a physical standpoint and that's the stopping point for most teams is you come up against this particular bucks offensive line and there's not a lot of defensive fronts in the league that can manhandle these guys and toss them around. And you saw, you saw the guards get tossed a few times. Kappa certainly got tossed. Um, He had a rough night. He had a rough night. And Cam Jordan came raging back. We talked about him last week, not having missed a game since he was a rookie. Um, You know, never missed a game in the NFL before last week. He, he missed it. You could tell he was like, no, no, I'm not taking it for granted. I'm going to come out and, and enjoy this. And, the saints that's the other thing about the saints is they really enjoy knocking tom and the bucks around you know chauncey gardner johnson biggest troll in the league uh and and a well-deserved title he has no problem sticking his face right you know most people like don't tug on the cape right don't piss off superman because it generally doesn't go well Chauncey Gardner Johnson has no problem going up and just mugging Tom Brady. And the defensive lineman lug Cam Jordan loved it. Everybody loves putting the king on the ground, right? If you can make the king bleed, people will cease to believe in him. Like that's their gig. They like it. And they're one of the few teams that can physically do it and they enjoy it. And you think about it like they scored nine points. You tell me an NFL team in the modern NFL scores nine points against the world champion. I'm going to tell you they lost the game. And still get a two-possession win against the world champion. (laughs) I'm like, they scored nine points and won definitively. They shut out the Bucs. Like, it's an amazing thing. We had this game on our watch list, and the reason was because the Saints always mess with Tom. That was the whole reason. We're like... it, it. you know on paper it's not the greatest game you got Taysom Hill starting quarterback like it's not normally a game we'd put on a watch list we're putting it on a watch list because the saints always fuck with tom and the saints fucked with
0: tom and it was entertaining from that perspective so can you believe what the spread was in this game bucks at like 11 and a half oh if you got in on that yeah it oof. Oof, i feel like vegas they they probably won a lot of money on this one because I think a lot of people ran on Tampa. The only way that game is at eleven and a half is if they were getting some monster bets on the Bucs yeah. and they cleaned house. Uh, three down number two. This is one where I really didn't know if it was down for the Titans or down for the Steelers. So <laughs> probably having both on their fits because the Titans lost. They put up 13 points because their offense... Flat out is not the same without Derrick Henry. Ideally, he's going to come back in the next two to three weeks. There's rumors he's going to come back week 18 in time for a potential playoff push because they're still in it. They're still, what are they, nine and five now? Yeah. So, you know, eight and five, nine and five. So they're still in it. Um, But by God, do they need him? You know, Julio's been in and out of the lineup. AJ Brown's finally coming off IR. So, like, they're going to get some reinforcements. But this offense has not looked the same since all these dudes were healthy by far. And then on the other side, the Steelers had 168 total yards, like 3.7 yards per play. Najee had, what, 18 rushing yards?
1: 18!
0: This is And they won!
1: They won! This, this is the thing about this game is the Titans are going to want this back. This was a very winnable game. This was not the... Ravens Packers game, 30 points against Aaron Rodgers. This is like you're going against Ben Roethlisberger, who still has fight in him, and I get that, but Ben had 148 passing yards. Najee had 18 to lead them with rushing. 18, 1 8, like sub 20 yards. That's usually one run for that guy the titans are going to look back at this one they are nine and five like we're not going to chicken little this too much and they are getting reinforcements so they're still doing fairly well at nine and five but they're going to look back and go ah man we we didn't win on a day when the lead rusher had 18 yards and ben put up 148 passing we didn't win that game we didn't just out muscle the old Vrabel thing, right? We didn't just roll over them and pick up the W. No, they're going to want this one back. It was not a pretty game for either side, but I feel like the Titans were in a position to come away with the W here. They've done it in much more difficult circumstances throughout the year, even without Derrick Henry, and they're just going to look back on this one, and I feel like they're going to want this one back.
0: Honestly, you look at the Titans last month, a loss to Houston, twenty two thirteen. You definitely want that one back. You know they beat Jacksonville, lost New England. The New England loss is understandable, sure. But I mean, the, the loss to Houston, the loss to Pittsburgh, like that's what cost them the number one seed. Like they they could be the number one seed right now. Oh, yep. If they just won the winnable games, I gotta be frustrated if you're a Titans fan. And also remember they lost the Jets in overtime, mm-hmm. like week four. So they have three losses this year to the Jets, the Jags. No, not the Jags. The Jets, the Steelers, and the Texans. That would eat away at my soul if I was Mike Rabel.
1: It's not good. They're not happy with it. Let's put it that way. But if you keep stacking them, like, look, one of those games is going to happen. Just happened to the Cardinals this week. Like, man, everybody had the Cardinals penciled in as a W over the Lions. That was a, from the preseason, people were like, yep, that's, i think they'll win that game it wasn't quite like that with this one but when you have one of those okay look we we lost the texans I don't oh, okay we lost to the jets right jets came up with a good game oh now we lost the texans too okay that's mm, not great oh steelers depleted on their way out we we should be able to oh we did oh we have three yeah. of those now and out of 5. Like they've only lost 5 times and 3 of those are to teams that, you know, again, this is why they play the games. If you're looking at it on paper, they should have had all 3 of those wins. Um tough tough going for the Titans. Um they they could have been solidly in first place with one or two of those wins. And now mm, they're still going to look, they're going to make the playoffs at 9 and 5. And and again, if they get all those reinforcements, all bets are off. It's it's a very different team it's a very different offense but they they could have had a very different road in the playoffs had they won some winnable games
0: on the other side the Steelers who somehow are just refusing to die they're still in this thing (laughs) the offense is inconsistent as hell the defense is inconsistent as hell I mean you go from giving up 15-yard run after 15-yard run against Dalvin Cook to, you know, holding the Titans to 13. I don't really know what to make of the Steelers, but at the same time, I have, like, zero confidence in them making a run during the AFC playoffs. I just don't think there's enough there. Right now, they're only a game out of the seven seed, and if Buffalo drops one more and the Steelers pick up one more, to actually technically they're only a half game back because they're seven, six, and one, and the Bills are eight six or eight and six. Yeah. And they beat the Bills week one. So, like one false step from Buffalo, the Steelers are in the seventh seed. Somehow, the 3.7 yards per play Steelers are the seventh seed. I it's it's one of the weirdest stories in the NFL that this team will not die. Honestly, the entire AFC North will not die. I don't get it like it's I don't even want to call it a mess of a division but they are just constantly cannibalizing each other and all refusing to be knocked out it's insane they're all in this thing in like week 16 really the only one I believe in at this point is Cincy but I mean right now the Ravens are eight and six they're they're a game out Steelers are seven six and one they're half game out Browns are seven and seven they're a game out they, they they all got a shot. Yeah. I don't I don't really believe in any of them, but they all got a shot. It's crazy. Yeah, we said
1: in our divisional preview of the AFC Central or AFC North, we said like look, this is going to be a slugfest. It doesn't really matter who wins it. It matter who survives it with enough health and enough games um to win the division because if you don't win the division, you're going to be beat up, you're going to have a bunch of other losses from the teams in your division. And if you're not healthy, it's going to be tough to scrap your way through the playoffs. And here we are, you know, week 15 going into week 16. And yeah, we're eight and six, eight and six, seven and six, seven, six and one and seven and seven. Like, <laughs> all right. Like nothing's decided with three weeks to go. Let's let's play some more football. Um, it is a, it is a batshit division for sure. Um, <laughs> So the last one, uh, in this section, uh, three down Jags look to have the number one overall pick after Detroit's win for two years in a row, notably pick Trevor Lawrence. That's hard to do. Turns out it's hard to get the number one overall pick two years in a row. And I thought, Hmm, how hard is it to do? I don't know. I should look. So I went down a rabbit hole. Um, Brett (laughs) goes down a rabbit hole with scheme and coaching calls. I go down a rabbit hole with the draft and here we go. Uh, it's a summary of what's happened or when it's happened in the last 40 years. So most notably, um, I'd say the majority of our fans would probably remember that the Browns have done it twice in the past 20 years. They did it in 2017 and 18 with Garrett and Mayfield. And again, some of our older fans might remember '99, '2000, Tim Couch and Courtney Brown, back to back number one oh, yeah. picks. Yeah, yeah, this is this is going to be a trip down memory lane for you. So the Bengals did it in '94,
0: '95, Dan Wilkerson and Kajana Carter. My head immediately went to Achilles Smith. Uh, How right. many times have the Bengals had the number one pick at this point? Probably well, a lot, right? <laughs> that was the Achilles Smith,
1: Tim Couch year, which was the whole okay. like, Ryan Leaf. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any uh, uh, Peyton Manning year. Uh, so the Colts went first twice in a three year span in 1990, Jeff George. And then in 92, they picked Steve Entman who was out of the University of Washington. And interestingly enough, in 92, they also had the second overall pick. So they had Entman number one overall, and they took Quentin Coriat, linebacker out of Texas A&M.
0: God, how bad were they? Jesus.
1: Yeah, it was a fun fun year. Uh, So that was fun. Now, these are the ones that I didn't know about, even as a draft fan. Years that a team has double-dipped by going first overall in a draft— and then spending their next year's first round pick in the supplemental draft. Cowboys
0: don't... Somebody's done that?
1: (laughs) Twice, as it turns out. What? The the Cowboys double-dipped, and you know one of the names because he's commentating games and he's a Hall of Famer. They double-dipped in the regular and supplemental draft in 1989. Aikman in the regular draft and Steve Walsh in the supplemental Steve Walsh was quarterback at Miami so he was Jimmy Johnson's quarterback at Miami Jimmy oh, Johnson wanted yeah. another choice he thought Aikman was a guy but he wanted a backup and so in the supplemental draft they spent their one on Steve Walsh so that one was was news to me um the Bucks did it in 86 and 87 two very notable names Bo Jackson and Vinny Testaverdi.
0: Testaverdi was a
1: supplemental No, it was a first overall. This is back to the two years in a row first overall. Oh, right, right, right. 86, 87, Bo Jackson, Vinny Testaverde. And interestingly enough, after picking Steve Young first overall in 84, so only two years before when he came over from the USFL. Yeah. So fun, fun names. Patriots went first overall twice in three years, kind of like the Colts did, 82 and 84. Kenneth Sims and Irving Fryer. Now we're really pushing it because Irving Fryer was like a a rookie in that 85 Super Bowl versus the Bears. Felt bad for him. And the Saints double dipped regular and supplemental in 1981. Now we're all the way back to 81 or 40 years ago. George Rogers in the regular and Dave Wilson in the supplemental. Overall, this is not great company to be in. To be a team on this list, you're not doing great. There is a reason this happens to teams. Like, multiple years worth of bad decision making ends up that one pick at the top of the draft does not enough to get you over the hump. And it turns out that Jacksonville is just such a team. They have made some poor decisions, in this case a coaching or head coaching decision not the Trevor Lawrence is a bad pick. We're not saying that we both think he's got talent and will eventually be a good player in the NFL, but he's gotten almost zero development this year because of his situation. And as a result, looks like the Jags probably get the number one pick two years in a row, which puts them in some pretty select company. That's everybody going back 40 years that's done this. And honestly, it's more teams than I thought it would be. Um, but None of those were great teams like the mid 80s Bucks. Not a good team. Uh, 89 for the Cowboys right before they picked Aikman. They were building their triplets. They were getting towards that Super Bowl run, but they were a bad team. There was a reason that they had those picks. The Colts, uh, the whole Jeff George, Entman, Quentin Coriat years. Not great. Um, The Browns, we know about the most recent history of the Browns before Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski took over and brought them some stability. They had years and years of instability and they ended up twice picking first overall in two consecutive years, not because they were great, but because they were like really horrible and kept making the same mistakes. So not a really good omen for Jacksonville. But again, fun draft fact, it's happened a lot more than I thought it had. Um, And some fun names for folks who've been following the NFL to remember way back in the wayback machine there.
0: Not to beat a dead horse, but the Jaguars have only picked outside of the top 10 once since uh before Obama was inaugurated. So it's yeah. been that kind of run. <laughs> and yeah. Unfortunately, it's still going.
1: Yeah, they had a couple chances there. We've talked about it. The, the fire sale after they've assembled that team that looked like it was going to make a run. Um, they're, you know, and the Brunel years, right. They go to the AFC championship. Is that right? Uh, it was the early 2000s. Yeah. The Fred Taylor, Mark Brunel around Keita there. McCardell, yeah. Like the, that was a, that was a great team. So they've had a couple of peaks in the time that they've been around where it looked like they were kind of, kind of maybe put together some sustained success and get out of that top 10. But as you said, hasn't hasn't been very often for the Jags that they've been out of that position so
0: Uh, let's go to three interesting number one now these are some deep cut names so if you don't know who they are we don't blame you but if you've been listening to this show for long enough you've probably heard us talk about them at least a little bit especially in like the 10 gems episodes going back the last couple years but there have been some young players around the league that are For various reasons, finally getting their chance to shine late in this NFL season. First among them being Divine Diablo, who just was pretty much only getting special team snaps for the majority of this year. Raiders had a bunch of injuries at linebacker, forced him into action a couple weeks ago, got his first start against Washington, put up like 11 tackles, came back the next week, put up 10 more tackles, and now we're at the point where Corey Littleton's getting five snaps in the game. He's active, but he's not playing because Devon Diablo is playing extremely well and looking like a piece that you know maybe they can look to for the future at the Will linebacker spot. You and I talked extensively about him kind of playing that role both before the draft and after the draft and in our offseason preview with the Raiders. We really like that pick as a, kind of a hybrid safety linebacker that would likely be a linebacker full-time in the league. Uh, you look at Gabe Davis – who just had his second start of the entire year and put up a five for eighty-five and two touchdown line? We both liked him a lot too, and he's going to earn a lot more snaps uh, again this week with Beasley out with COVID. So you know he's going to be uh, have to be a huge weapon for Josh Allen against New England. And then we got Thomas Graham, your guy, a corner that was uh, hiding on the practice squad all year for reasons unknown. <laughs> finally gets the start because of injuries and puts up what was it, like three four passes defensed in his first start pretty crazy
1: yeah he gets his hand on the ball three or four times and there is a reason like i i am still mad that he hasn't been playing because look the chicago secondary has been objectively horrible outside of jalen johnson who's been great and we said this before the year they just don't have any horses they traded away fuller leaving jalen johnson as the pure number one and who else and it's been Kendall builder and duke Shelley, and they've had Artie burns in there and like it it's not great and the safety rotation hasn't been much better either when when eddie jackson's been healthy he's been decent you're starting tayshaun gibson he's missed time they had deandre houston carson in there before he went to ir like not great and here's thomas graham and he did he got roasted during the preseason a lot of fans were like why 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 but I can't believe that he's not objectively better than at least some of those guys on what has been a very middling cornerback roster. Now he did sit out. He opted out for COVID in college his last year before he was draft eligible. So the last tape scouts had on him was over a year old. I really liked him as a guy that could play outside, or inside in the nickel he played both at oregon he played more outside i loved his skill set and the bears pick him up late again because he'd opted out it was a year later people had some concerns uh access to information was not as good during the covid scouting years and the bears get him late as like a sixth round pick and i'm like this is great they're low on cornerback depth this guy has skills he's fresh after a year basically on the bench he doesn't play great in the preseason He doesn't play great uh, early on, and he just disappears. He goes on the practice squad, and he finally gets called up this week because the entire Bears secondary basically is out with COVID or injury. If you look at their starting lineup, it was horrendous. (laughs) And Graham plays great, like objectively great. Like Bears fans get to see that somebody besides Jalen Johnson can get in the way of a pass. Like that's legal right he can knock the ball away he also tackled very well and it just highlights that uh, you know the bears have had issues with with talent evaluation jesper horstead scores a touchdown to kill some betters dreams at the end of the game right they rule it a
0: touchdown or or make their dreams or make their
1: dreams depends on which side you're on but jesper horstead's a guy that i've been like play him he is objectively better than jimmy graham at this stage making a lot less money like Jesper Horstman has ten career receptions and three touchdowns. <laughs> he has Just more saying. touchdowns than Jimmy Graham, like who's making like nine or seven million dollars a year. It's crazy, but some like a teams, million dollars a catch. <laughs> yeah, some teams have talent on their roster that doesn't make it. We've done this all year with Brandon Ayuk, right? we're big brandon Ayuk fans and we were like why aren't they playing and people said doghouse people said whatever well that ship has also righted itself Ayuk has reinserted himself into the lineup a little over a month ago for whatever reason and he's making crazy plays he won the game last week um we knew he could and you know with graham i knew he had talent but he didn't show out early now he gets a chance late and maybe he's a building block for the bears to go forward at least a depth piece but these guys are all over the league and what we want to emphasize is everybody in the nfl has talent and we've talked about situation and scheme a lot but sometimes it's just more than that sometimes coaches just don't like people sometimes they're not good at evaluating their skill set sometimes they just have a pigeonholed idea of what a player should be and X player on their roster who has talent does not fit that so they don't make it in So just remember that when you're bemoaning your draft hits or misses either way, because you can, again, (laughs) some betters dreams get made. Some betters dreams get crushed. Like you can be on either side of that debate, but it's not always that the guy objectively sucks. He probably doesn't. He's not in the right fit for whatever reason, or the coaches just don't know what they're looking at because that happens in the NFL too.
0: I just think he, he passed the Justin Jefferson test which matters a lot to me. Like you look at terms of yards and catches given up. He gave up one catch all night for 7 yards to uh uh god who was it? Not not Smith Barset, the other one. Osborne. Um Osborne. Yep. But Jefferson had 4 for 47 and a touchdown, but nothing on Graham. They had to put him in the slot to work against, you know, Marquise Christian and um you know, Dion Bush and 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 Kendall Vildor for for one snap. None of those yards came outside when Graham was on him. So, I, I you know, say what you want about Kirk having an off night and it just kind of being a weird game, but you go up against Justin Jefferson one on one and give up nothing to him all night. You deserve a roster spot. You deserve to start for the rest of the year to see what you got. You know, maybe he doesn't keep it up. Maybe it was a flash in the pan. Who knows? But he needs to start and he needs to play just to see. Same thing with Gabe Davis. Like, honestly, even when Beasley comes back, like, I want I want Davis starting, like, every single game from here on out, even through the playoffs. See what you got. I want Diablo starting every single game, playing every single snap from here on out, and see what you got. Because these are young guys, young, talented guys that could be really key pieces for the Raiders, Bills, and Bears, respectively, and uh, I think those teams owe it to themselves to see what their young guys can do.
1: Yeah, here's hoping. That's what the end of the season's really good for is, you know, the Bears are officially out of playoff contention now, and that had been bandied about as, oh, we're not going to play the Tevin Jenkinses of the world before injury until were mathematically eliminated, even though we all know the Bears had no chance to make it into the playoffs. And if they did, they were gonna get annihilated. So it wasn't valid reasoning, but it was used. Well, that's gone now. They are mathematically eliminated. They can't make the playoffs. There is no reason not to run all these guys out now and see what they do in live game reps, because that is extremely valuable and there's no way to simulate it. You can't simulate it in practice. I don't care how good your VR is. It's not the same. You need to get them out there in game situations and see how they play. and Graham got his chance and he played extremely well.
0: Uh, three interesting number two. you could argue that this is a three down, but I I like it better as a three interesting because I don't really know what to do about the Carolina Panthers. They're they're, they're objectively as messy this year. As the Jags, the Texans, the Giants, the Jets, you know, all the teams that everybody talks about being like the worst in the league, they're as messy as them. They are as broken as all of them right now. You got the Joe Brady drama. You got Matt Rule, honestly, coaching like he's fighting for his life right now, like he knows he's on the hot seat. The quarterback situation is a complete mess. They passed on multiple quarterbacks in this draft for a corner. And as much as we love J.C. Horn, like even if jc horn was playing right now and he didn't get hurt unfortunately this year with their quarterback situation the way it is they'd still probably be losing games there's a lot of talent on this roster but it feels like the two most important parts of it you know head coach and quarterback are so unsettled that the rest of the roster doesn't really matter that much and so i don't really know what to do about them because they're not that far away from being a really good team like they started out 3 and 0 They had a convincing win against the Saints. They were stopping the run at a historic rate. They had a great pass rush. The offense was workable when Christian McCaffrey was in there. DJ Moore was, he had a hot start. He was starting off well. Like the team looked good and then it just completely fell apart. So like, I know they're not a complete lost cause, but I don't know what to do about them. And in this draft in particular, where we're still not, really sure what this quarterback class offers and we're still not really sure if they're even going to retain Matt Rule I I find the Panthers to be one of the most interesting question marks in the NFL because they're both not that far and also really far (laughs) from being a great team if that makes sense
1: It does. They need they need drivers and the drivers being the head coach and the quarterback and they don't have those drivers and we don't know if they're linked together. We don't know if rule gets to stay and pick another one or uh, even if they would or they go the trade route again. I mean, there's uh, they haven't been traditional in the way that they've managed personnel, but objectively, you can say this team is underachieving for the talent that's on the roster. Like, the defense is pretty well loaded up, and they have a lot of offensive weapons. They need some offensive line depth. Sounds kind of like what we say about the Jaguars. And so maybe it's not all that surprising that they're not all that far off each other's records. But they absolutely have to get the quarterback position decided. They could have done that. They could have picked a Justin Fields and said, you know, this is the way they're going.
0: Or a Mac Jones, either way.
1: Yep. they they could have done that they chose not to so really the question is are they going to give Matt Rule a little more rope and see if he can make it through next season with a different quarterback choice or are they sort of done with that but objectively they've got more talent on the roster than 5 wins and they are not sort of performing and developing now they hired they fired Joe Brady midseason which seemed a bit like a scapegoat move um given what he's had to work with at quarterback specifically but they'd be taking a lot more heat if there weren't four other teams in the league who were a lot worse like we would be talking a lot i'm sure panthers fans are screaming at the top of their lungs we can hear you it's okay like they would be taking a lot more heat nationally as a really underachieving underperforming team if there weren't teams like you know uh I know it sounds weird because we spent a lot of this episode heaping praise on the Lions, but the Lions, the Jags, the Giants, for sure. Um, Texans are their own special case. We talked about that last week. Like, they're soaking up the their terrible headlines, so we don't they don't get heaped on the Panthers. But the Panthers are, yeah, I'm with you. They have enough talent to bounce back really quickly if they do decide to go in a different direction with the coach, or maybe even if they don't, if they just get a quarterback and he meshes with rule boom, this team could be competing and putting up wins, uh, certainly at a higher rate than they are now, like next year. I, I, that is not a stretch for me at all. They go with a new coach, and they draft a quarterback, and they get hot as a rookie. Again, they've got a defense to back them up. They could build a running game pretty easily in the draft, even if they do go out and mortgage a few picks per quarterback. There's a lot here, and... It's just a question of how they arrange those two most important pieces for the on-field product.
0: I feel like we're probably going to end up talking about the Panthers a lot between the months of February and April because, again, they're one of the most fascinating teams, I think, to do mock drafts for because they can go in so many different directions. I think until we know what's going on with the coaching staff and what's going on with the quarterback class, they're very hard to project, but... You know, when I'm doing the TDN mock draft simulators, I'm probably going to pick the Panthers more than most other teams, just because I think they're fun to to kind of to mock for. You can go anywhere with them. Uh, three interesting number three. Not to to really kick a horse when it's down or whatever the phrase is. Uh, Ravens fans, look away. I feel really bad for Baltimore. They've lost three straight games by a combined four points i don't remember the last time i saw a team that snake bitten like come that close so many times to being either in contention for the one seed or now they're out of the playoffs they're like eighth or ninth right now because of three straight losses by a combined four points that is insane
1: That's razor thin. Like we talk about game of inches. We've talked about it on this podcast, like this episode of this podcast, when you're talking about three total games by basically a point and a third each, Mm. it doesn't get any closer. Like normally you're talking about, Oh, it was a field goal. Like that's, that's as close as it gets in the NFL one point games are very rare. The idea that you would have three, one point games essentially in a row is, yeah, I don't remember a streak like that. I remember plenty of three and four game streaks where you've lost by a field goal each, but that's 12 points over three or four games, right? Not four points over three games. And two that's... of them were
0: division games. It was a one-point loss to the Steelers and a two-point loss to the Browns, so it's even worse. Like, that's, yep. that's double duty in terms of just driving the stake through the heart because <laughs> you, you lose. What are they fourth into the division now? No third in the division. Cause Cleveland dropped one to the Raiders. But I mean, that's just, uh, again, I don't really expect the Ravens to make any deep run, even if they do make the playoffs cause they're way too banged up. But I know Ravens fans are just seething because they at least wanted a chance Yeah. And they just keep falling short. It's just, it's a heartbreaking season for them. I will say this when they get all their guys back next year, if they stay healthy next year and you get Dobbins back and you get Gus back and you know, Bateman's fully healthy and Lamar's healthy and you get Ronnie back and all the defensive pieces, Marlin, this team is going to outright annihilate people because they're already really good with like 60% of a roster. When they get 100% of their guys back, they are going to be obnoxiously hard to beat. I guarantee it. And with that being said, why don't we get to the bootleg shot of the week? Speaking of AFC North bone breakers, our winner (laughs) last week was an unofficial nominee. Because, you know, we have a we have a policy right in right in the the right ends won. The people have spoken. And even though we couldn't make it an official nominee because it was flagged, I think you and I agree it was a bullshit flag on Minka Fitzpatrick separating the ball from KJ Osborne in the end zone. Kirk throwing a hospital ball over the middle. Textbook hit from Minka. I don't know what else he could have done. Ref threw a flag. Ref knew it was a bad flag. Said it's on me, but it still stood. Great, great hit. Uh, And really, to me, there was no other option. I'm happy the right-in won. I think justice was served today. That was the best hit of week 14.
1: Well, justice isn't the only thing going to be served right about now. What do you got? Uh, it's almost Christmas time, so uh, a little rum and eggnog goes really well. So I've got some Durley's, uh eggnog. You're yeah. shooting eggnog? No, you ever put rum in eggnog? I said rum goes really well in eggnog.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you rum. were shooting eggnog. I was like, oh, my God. Well, it if it Washington was homemade,
1: shit. I would consider it, but only with chunks. No. Uh, Durley's.
0: <laughs> God.
1: I knew it. I knew it. Uh, no, Durley's uh, eight-year-aged rum. Good stuff. You've had it uh, when you were up here. It tastes like butter. Uh, what do you have?
0: Uh, I'm unleashing my inner college kid tonight. I got Tito's doing vodka Ooh. for the first time on the show.
1: Oh, man. It's
0: That's not. vodka.
1: Just any vodka unleashing your inner college kid. That's something else. Okay. Um, what did I, uh, Oh, speaking of eggnog, I heard of something that I'm not going to be a fan of just cause I don't like the base ingredient, hmm. but, uh, somebody was heading to their, I think sister's house for, uh, for Christmas or whatever. And she's like, she is excited to introduce me to fire nog, which is fireball shots in eggnog.
0: Oh my God you think
1: about it why people put put cinnamon and nutmeg on top of their eggnog it's just cinnamon whiskey in your eggnog
0: how much of a degenerate do you need to be to
1: enjoy that i'm not sure i i'm not a fireball person myself so i wouldn't try it i would put rum in my eggnog or whiskey but (sighs) first of all (laughs) firenog and i was like oh it's got a catchy name but uh, yeah have at it anyways uh here's to minka and to write-ins everywhere uh Buck the system.
0: Uh, That's good vodka.
1: Tito's does make a good vodka. Um, Surprisingly good, yes. I don't don't drink a lot. Well, I don't drink much vodka at all. But when I do, uh, I get Crater Lake vodka, which is made uh, filtered through volcanic lava rocks.
0: I really only keep vodka on hand for making sauces. But (laughs) I saw it downstairs, and I was like, eh.
1: Might as you well. only keep vodka on hand for getting sauced? What was that?
0: I, hey, <laughs> you have not had my tortellini ala vodka. It's pretty I, you know, damn good. And
1: this is one of the the great wantings in my life, so we'll fix that next time I'm down.
0: Uh, nominees for this week's bootleg shot of the week, now that we're done rambling. Uh, number one, Garrett Wallow, Texans linebacker, absolutely blowing up a Jags receiver on a switch release slant. Great read, scraped over the top, fantastic form tackle, stopped him dead in his tracks. Uh, Immediately when I saw it, I DM'd you and was like, that's a nominee, has to be, non-negotiable. Option number two, Jeffrey Simmons, I mean, tossing Pat Frymuth like a baby. It it, it was a remarkable demonstration of uh, weight class in the NFL, I think is a good way to put it. And, you know, Jeffrey Simmons is one of the most What's the word? Intimidatingly strong <laughs> defensive lineman in the league. So seeing him take a 260-pound tight end and, and basically toss him into a coffin was awesome. Uh, option number three, Clyde edwards finding out very quickly that Derwin James uh, moves a lot faster with a lot more force than he does. My dad has a... a he always had a great saying when I was growing up playing sports because I was always a bigger kid he always used to look at me from the sideline and say, F equals MA. Force times mass equals acceleration. And he's like, look, you're big. As long as you move fast enough, they're going to fly and you won't. And uh, Derwin James had a great example of F equals MA. He's bigger. He's faster. He's stronger. He's heavier. And Clyde found out the hard way. Uh, And then option number four, this one actually just happened tonight when we were doing our pre-show and watching these games together. Daryl Taylor going shoulder to shoulder with uh, Daryl Henderson. Was this Daryl and Daryl Crime, now that I think about it? It's Daryl on Daryl Crime. It (laughs) totally is. Totally de him. Great hit. Again, one of those ones where we saw it live. We're like, that's a nominee. Non-negotiable. Has to be in there. So uh, four really good ones this week. All a little bit different from each other. And uh, I'm excited to see what people pick. I genuinely don't know who's got the lead here. But if you're watching the YouTube version of the show, you'll have seen all the clips playing as we go through this here. If you're listening to the pod, you can still vote, uh, by going to the YouTube version of the show. We got a pin comment there. You could, you know, put your vote in down below, but, uh, yeah, EJ, what's your, uh, what's your instinct here? Who's got it? I don't know. I'm with you.
1: I don't think there's a clear leader. Uh, it's sort of what y'all like. <laughs> what, what flavor are you looking for? Um, Yeah, if there was a Larry in that uh, Seahawks game, then we'd have Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. But anyways, that's an old Bob (laughs) Newhart joke. No, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire thought he would lean into Derwin James. Probably not going to do that again. Next time that he gets in that position, he's probably going to lean out of bounds. Get out of bounds. Yeah, get out of bounds. Yeah, that wasn't... He was trying to prove a point, and he ended up proving the wrong one, probably to himself. Um, (laughs) Jeffrey Simmons just chucking people. But if you watch interior defensive line tape jeffrey Simmons just chucks people every week um typically they're guards and centers who weigh more than pat fryermuth pat fryermuth by the way is a good blocker he's not one of those uh dainty tight ends that just runs routes like he is a guy that that plays strong at the point of attack yeah nah like he just got flaked um and the garrett wallow thing is really interesting because he played linebacker at tcu He was on a running back man coverage here, but the running back was flexed out wide. So you literally get Garrett Wallow lined up in what would be the outside cornerback spot. And he has very good instincts and quick recognition. It was one of the highlights or hallmarks of his game at TCU and goes right over the top. He knows the rubs coming and just completely bends right around it and is just heat seeking missile for the ball. He knows where it's going from the time it snapped. Um, and, yeah, yeah, running back didn't, didn't make any ground there. He, he took a <laughs> shot, and he was uh, F equals MA on that one as well.
0: Uh, let's get into our Week 16 watch list. This one, uh, honestly, was pretty hard to narrow down. We ended up with uh, Colts-Cardinals because of the massive implications of that game for playoff seating at both conferences because neither team can afford to drop a game right now. Uh, Buffalo-New England. Which, I mean, the Bills are hanging on by a thread. They absolutely need to win this game. And then Baltimore-Cincinnati, because who doesn't love a little bit of AFC North cannibalism? Seems to happen every single week. You could argue Dolphin Saints, super interesting for the ramifications for Mm -hmm. both AFC and NFC playoffs. Um, you could argue Browns Packers a little bit cause the Browns aren't completely out of it and the Packers cannot afford to drop a game because they've got a few teams right behind them, you know, aiming for first seed. Like this is, this is a rather interesting game, um, or rather interesting week. I should say, I would even say like 49ers Titans is one you could look at. Like it, it's going to be hard to pick which ones to watch live and which ones to watch back later. Cause there's a lot of pretty decent games this week.
1: Yeah. You got Steelers chiefs.
0: Like I fully expect the chiefs to roll right over the Steelers, but like you said, Steelers it's the won't Steelers. Die. They won't die. They're not They're, going
1: away. They won't die. And then you've got NFC East action with Cowboys and Washington football team. Like again, I would expect the Cowboys to win that game, but like we've seen stranger things happen just in the last couple of weeks. So a lot of, i would say low-key interesting games to watch um because so many things are still undecided again we're a week later we've been saying this for the last three weeks oh we're at week 13 we're at week 14 we're at week 15 and this is still undecided or this many teams still have a shot at the playoffs or this many teams are still in the hunt like that's still the case like very few things got resolved over the last week and they're uh you know there are things like the bears being mathematically eliminated well we kind of knew that anyways doesn't even feel like that counts as one uh, it's officially one um so lots of stuff to watch this late in the season that's a real treat for nfl fans um in terms of parody it, you know look means a little bit more tums consumption uh for teams <laughs> on the bubble uh but overall there's still a lot of good games there are not we haven't really hit just play out the string games for the vast majority of teams in the NFL. We might after next week. There may be a tipping point, probably will be, because there will only be two weeks left at that point.
0: There's um, a lot of seven-win teams that are going to lose this week and have it be pretty much over for them. Yeah,
1: so it it's amazing that here we are late, late, late in the season, and over half the teams in the NFL are still – active and interesting in terms of either their role as a very direct spoiler to keep people out of a seat or out of a playoff or keep a division rival from from advancing um or just flat out they have a chance to make the playoffs straight up which is crazy at this point of the year but um here we are and just enjoy that as an nfl fan
0: uh before we get out of here let's do some plugs Uh, I believe this is coming out Wednesday, and I think I also have a film room over on the Film Room channel coming out today, if today is Wednesday as well. (laughs) Uh, That one's going to be all about analytics and some of the topics we talked about in in this pod, except a little bit more targeted, more in-depth, specifically with the Chargers game and that two-point conversion uh, at the end of the Ravens game. So if you liked what you heard when we talked about analytics earlier in this episode go watch that uh do you have anything coming for bears over beers now we that, do you know, it's, you're bear eliminated. Se-
1: it's bear it's seahawks it's weird last week we had brad spielberger from pff on one of our friends one of our many uh i think we we decided that brad has been on bears over beers more than anybody else he's in the three times club right now and i don't think (laughs) anybody else is he's tied maybe with three times but we had him on because there's really nobody better to talk about potential gm candidates and that's the real question everybody knows that nagy has gone nobody's really sure that ryan pace is gone but that chatter has increased enough over the last couple of weeks that we felt like it was something to address and brad works with a lot of these guys and and folks that work with guys that work with the guys that are going to be considered in the gm slate there's not as many openings this year for gm probably there's maybe four maybe uh possibly, possibly. as few as possibly mm-hmm. as few as two um, yeah. and we're not sure that ryan pace is in there but it's it's a fascinating conversation because it can really change the course of the organization and and you heard so many people talking about it during this week's chicago game of chicago is a great sports city and a great sports town the bears have been down for so long that the nfl is better when the bears are good um and you know randy Mueller came out on twitter and said the same thing that like the the nfl needs a strong bears and they need to change direction and get there um nobody's wrong about that the bears are kind of a sleeping giant third largest market in the country and have been in the bottom third of the nfl for quite a while so possible gm is a great conversation that was a good one and this week it is uh, a game in my neck of the woods bears are coming to play the seahawks day after uh, christmas i've been offered tickets i'm not sure if i'm gonna go um because it is the day after christmas uh, the weather could be abjectly terrible um we'll see but uh we're probably not going to talk a lot about the seahawks bears game we might talk about um some things around bears off season decisions. We're kind of pivoting to that now that they are mathematically eliminated. Uh, but yeah, we will have a pod this week. It will come out a day or two early as, uh, Friday is Christmas Eve. Uh, we normally launch that on Friday. It'll probably come out, um, either late Wednesday or Thursday. So you have a little bit of a chance to listen to it maybe on that drive over to the in-laws. Uh, but yeah, it'll be out this week as usual.
0: So with that being said, uh, thank you to Consti, thank you to Murat, Caden, and Andrew, our Bootleg Hall of Famers, for supporting us at the top level of our Patreon tiers. Thank you to everybody who's listened to this entire show. I think we're close to two hours at this point. Uh, hell of a week of football, and it's only going to get crazier as these playoff races shake out. So we'll be back here. Next Wednesday, with our week 16 recap, and look ahead to week 17. Hope to join us for that one. And uh, until then, later. Happy Holidays.
1: How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix,